0: We need to hear from God. In a world full of noise, we need to hear God's voice. His word says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you, so do not fear or be dismayed. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear evil, for your God is with you. He will keep those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. And may this God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. For those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So prepare your minds for action and be vigilant. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Do not be dismayed. He is still God. He will strengthen you, He will help you, and He will uphold you with His righteous right hand. For the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. For the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. So we will glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and this hope does not disappoint because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us the lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble he knows those who take refuge in him and the god who has shown us many troubles and distresses will revive us again for though A righteous fall seven times. They will rise again. Therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, do that in our hearts. I love that phrase in God of Revival. Come awaken your people. Come awaken this city. Oh, God of Revival, pour it out, pour it out. And it starts with us. In fact, I think it was Peter who said, if judgment's gonna begin, let it begin in the household of faith. And if you're a parent here and you're struggling with your kids, the first question is, am I right? Am I bringing the right spirit to this house? Have I let things into this house that are creating an atmosphere that's toxic? And so we gotta awaken ourselves. It was Paul who said, I believe in Ephesians 5, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. But we've got to wake up. We can't keep hitting the snooze button. We've got to wake up and say, God, what do you want to do to awaken my heart, the sleeper inside of me that's slumbering so that you can shine on me and then shine through me in this world? I said last week, eternity is too long and life is too short to play church. We are not playing church here. We are the church. We're not just playing games. We're not just here biding our times until the rapture. We're not trying to create a bunker so that we can hide from the world. We're here to stack hands on our mission to get a pep talk and get out in that world and shine abroad. The powerful, mighty light of God to a world that desperately needs it. Illumination in a big way. I remember uh, back when I was younger, we had Adidas shorts and... uh, This week, it reminded me, I was wearing my dad's Adidas hat. I took a couple of of dad's hats, and uh, one was Adidas. And I remember uh, what I thought it meant when I was younger was all day I dream about uh, sports, okay? (laughs) But I know what you're thinking, all day I dream about sex. Is that what you were thinking? Exactly. When I was in junior high, that's what it meant to me. And uh, we were playing soccer, but this week I was thinking about that all day, I dream about souls. Something's changed in my mind. I don't dream about sports. I don't dream about sex most of the time. Uh, Yeah, but I I love how you're talking back to me tonight. It's gonna make that sermon a lot longer uh, for you to bear. But I dream about souls and not just the souls that are in this room, not the ones who have been found, the ones who are still lost. And you may be here and you are wandering around. And in J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, it said, all who wander are not lost. It's not over for you. There is hope for you here. I hope you hear it in the songs. I hope you can see it in our faces. We believe the best days are yet to come, even though we believe that we are in a dumpster fire of a world. We are not here mourning and bemoaning that we live in such a time as this. We love every minute of it because the church was built For the darkness, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so we're staying in Acts, if you don't mind, uh, for the next several weeks. God's laid several messages on my heart. And I I told the staff, do you mind if I just kind of take it from here for a little bit into the indefinite future? I just got some things God's put on my heart for our church. And uh, so we're going to stick around in the book of Acts. Boldness, if you haven't read the book of Acts, it's the mark of the early church. And we looked at a verse last week when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned or unschooled and ordinary men. They marveled or were astonished and took note that these men hung out with Jesus. They were around that guy. They reminded him of what they saw in the three years of his public ministry. And in this verse, I want a boldness that's perceivable, that they see it, that's believable, that it's like, it's credible. You look at it, that's believable, and then receivable. Like, I want to know that, epigonosko, the Greek word, for myself. It's perceivable, it's believable, and it's receivable. I want that for myself. And I know a lot of people picked a word at the beginning of the year, and I shared this with our church um, at the turn of the new year. Mine was Revival. So I love that song. I want the God of revival to do a work. And, and that was in the midst of so much like oppression and depression happening in people's lives. I'm like, God, we need revived. Your church needs revived. Our families, our marriages, our kids need revived. I want revival. Do you know your word from the beginning of the year? Anybody, just shout out your word. Anybody else? Relationship. Relationship. Anyone else? Pursue. Intentionality. Intentionality. See, we gotta lock into those words because God has birthed them into our heart for a reason. He wants us to stay connected, and I know we're on to the next best, shiny, sexy thing, but I'm telling you, stick with what he planted in your heart in the beginning and lean into it and pour fertilizer on that word. And for me, it's revival. So it's awesome that we're camping in the book of Acts the next several weeks in this bold move series. Because the book of Acts is one of the main reasons I got into ministry when I was in college. The book of Acts actually rescued me from a faltering faith, honestly. I wanted to be a part of that kind of church that I saw in the early church. And I remember reading a book in 1997 called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And uh, he said something I'll never forget And I kept the quote in my Bible The first seven years of youth ministry Until I lost that Bible But it was this I despaired at the thought That my life might slip by Without God showing himself mightily on our behalf Oh God, split the heavens and come down Manifest yourself somehow Do what only you can do This is a move. Do what you can do, God. Split the heavens and come down. That's from Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, God, and bring what you want to bring and make your dreams come through through our life. I have always been captured and my attention acutely drawn to awakenings and reformations and revivals and movements down through the ages. And it's a dream of mine that one day, by God's grace, I'll be a part of one myself. And I don't care if I'm leading it or I'm following it, I just wanna be a part of one worse than bad. I don't know about you. From time to time, I believe I have been, even here at Impact, almost feeling the brush of angel wings as the supernatural power of God was made manifest. But using just indicators that are more than growth or just passion, I want indicators of repentance and a passion for obeying God's word wholeheartedly again, and an insatiable desire to spread the good news of Christ through evangelism. I still have yet to see this sweep over the entirety of our body and spread into our community with unstoppable, undeniable contagiousness and courageousness. Yet, because I still am holding out hope, and I'm praying for that. Are you praying with me for that? Don't you wanna see that in our town and in this general area, the greater Lowell area? I do. And I don't believe in the not ever. I believe maybe in the not yet. And tonight could be one of the turning points in our life to bring about the one that adds another that becomes 10, that becomes 20. That's when a wildfire starts in the fire of God's love. There are four words that have always fascinated me. I'm a word guy. And they speak of the spirit that surrounds something I'll call spatial specialness, spatially special places I can feel them. The first is epidemiology, the study of what is upon the people. Phenomenology is the study of that which mysteriously or miraculously appears. Zeitgeist is the defining spirit or the ideas and beliefs of a particular period of history. And then genius loci is a Latin word meaning the special atmosphere of a particular place. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I want to be a part of something that encompasses all these extraordinary words. And these words force me to ask the question of our body, this humble gathering of people tonight, everyday people ordinary, unschooled people here. What are the atmospheric conditions, the genius loci, that are creating a defining spirit in this specific time in history, zeitgeist, whereby things are happening out of nowhere, phenomenology, and profoundly affecting and infecting people in special ways, epidemiology. All right. This is what I want to see. As I was studying for ministry, there's another book that meant a whole lot to me in 1994. And it was by Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries. And a couple of his quotes were branded into my being. One was this for me as a preacher boy, you cannot preach unless your heart is full of Christ. If the sermon doesn't burn in you preacher, it won't burn in anybody else, that's for sure. Wet-eyed preachers never produce dry sermons if God's working in my life and stirring me up and I'm emotional, I'm crying to God, God, do something. The heart speaks to the heart. The brain speaks to the brain. And I hope more than anything, you know, my heart bleeds for your heart and my heart bleeds for God's heart. And I hope you can feel that. I don't want to just take up space and suck oxygen down here. I want to make a mark in my short time on this planet I want you to as well because you're gonna die it's a morbid thought but it's coming sooner than you think and I don't want you to sit there and have all kinds of regret like why didn't I wake up oh sleeper and rise from the dead and let Christ shine in me what was I so scared for why didn't I live with courage and bravery and boldness and tenacity and temerity instead of timidity He had another quote I love. It says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you'll know and they'll know because you don't have to advertise it. The community will already know it. Acts 4.13, maybe we could just say this. When the church saw the fire of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been around the wildfire of Jesus Christ. It's easy to just read a verse like Acts four thirteen, 13, exposit it, explain it, and be moved by it and move on. But you got to understand, this movement of God was not supposed to happen. Jesus' opponents thought they had shut this Jesus movement down even just months before. They killed Jesus, the main leader, and everyone scattered. It was over. In fact, the disciples, after three years of following him, went back by default to all of their old jobs. They went back to fishing and tax collecting and all the things they were doing before. It's over. He's gone. It was a failed failed counter-revolution, right? And then the tomb emptied, and Jesus was gone. He'd risen from the dead. So these people... The Romans, in bed with the religious leaders of the day, they hatched a plan and to circulate an alternate story. I don't know if you know this in the text, but it's, it's right there. There was this scandal to shut down the church before the church became the church. So the powers of the day who were in bed with each other conspired And a disinformation campaign started. Anybody know anything about disinformation in our world today? It's it's been around a long time. Listen to this. After the resurrection, the women were on their way that saw Jesus. And some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened, which was the resurrection. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, paid them off, telling them, you are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and you'll keep yourself out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely spread or circulated among the Jews to this very day. I was struck by... And disinformation, where we have false narratives and fake news and fabricated stories and propaganda, and we've got biased narratives, and we've got virtue signaling and gaslighting and dog whistling and kick-clickbait. this is what was happening in the early church to shut down even the beginning and the birth of the church. They got together to spread false information to the world. They tried to squash the story, but the cat got out of the bag. And the news started spreading, and the gospel was spreading, and the disciples, these channels of his message were unexplainable, unexplainable, unrefined men and women that had no business being the powerful force that they had become by God's Spirit. See, the backstory to Acts 4.13 is the healing of a lame man that led them to being arrested, John and Peter, and brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned and threatened. In Acts 4, verse 7, for some context, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power and by what name did you do this? And instead of Like months before, Peter being like, oh, I don't want to tell you because my life is too important to me and being talked down out of following Christ by a little girl, he stood up to the powers of the day and said, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the game changer, that's the X factor, that's the secret sauce. If you're a bunch of Christians in here and you know a lot of stuff and all the right answers and you've been around Jesus, if you're not spirit-filled, you do not have power and authority inside of your bones, because that changes everything Amen. that's the difference between the gospels disciples and the acts disciples they were filled with the spirit of god and they didn't move forward until he came and filled them through and through and so filled with the spirit he spoke up rulers and elders of the people he didn't have a sound system at the time so he's bellering from the bottom of his heart and the top of his lungs if we're called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a dude who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, just get this, stick this in your pipe and smoke it. It's what it means in the Greek. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And they're like, "Whoa, oh, what about the conspiracy? You're conspiracy theorists. It's like, no, 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 no. You can ban us from Twitter, but this is being spread, and you can't stop this. It's true. We all know it now. I love this because Paul said something about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. The death of Christ, after he died, everybody scattered and went back to their jobs. The resurrection of Christ is what caused them to be like, This is legit, and I'll give my life for it. Paul, Paul said this Now, if there is no resurrection, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Why are we making the bold moves that we wouldn't make if we didn't believe Jesus was alive? And he's not just alive and well, he's real, and he's not just real, he's the truth. The resurrection is what causes the church to endanger itself. They're not waiting around and then danger happens to them. They go toward danger. Churches don't hide. Churches move to the darkness and the danger and bring the light of Christ to those places. Acts 4.13, Peter goes on, and right before chapter, you know, verse 13, he said, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Some bold things just got said to the powers of the day. And it ticked them off. I mean, it's crazy. There's no one else and there's no other name in a world of inclusivity it sounds pretty exceptional and exclusive. When it comes to the gospel, it's an exceptional message. It's an exclusive message. And we need to realize that the early church was persecuted because it's belief that Jesus was the one and only way. The pressure even now to dumb that down and water down the gospel, to be inclusive of everyone and everything, no matter what they believe, that's big time right now. That's why it's called a safe space these days, right? Just like Jesus and his first followers, we welcome everyone. We do not embrace everything. We love everyone, but we do not accept everything. We respect everyone, but do we do not allow anything and everything in the church. We have standards based on God's word, and we will at this church take a stand for those standards. Amen. No one else, no other way. Amen. This is why they referred to Peter and John as bold in Acts 4.13. Because they were presenting a dangerous proposition, not a safe space preaching an exceptional and exclusive gospel that some people were right and some people were wrong. That people couldn't just live their truth and God would warm all hearts in the end, right? That Jesus was God and that all other beliefs must bow to him. And it's the same exact message that got Jesus killed. He didn't think he was killed because he was the world's nicest guy, did you? Captain Kangaroo, you know, anybody know Captain Kangaroo? A couple of you here Yeah, I've made a quote It takes two to make a thing go right And there was only 18 people on Sunday morning That knew what I was talking about um, (laughs) With Rob Bass The, The 80's burns hot within me Got Jesus killed So they threatened Peter and John Just like We're getting threatened Every day of our lives in this world for our convictions and our perspectives and our beliefs. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. I love this passage. (laughs) Which is right in God's eyes? Because I'm telling you, it's really easy to just follow what will make everybody seem happy these days. But we got to keep saying, what's right in God's eyes for us to listen to him or you? To try to give God a facelift or to say, God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. This is the question of our day. Who are you going to listen to? God or man? The world is telling us what we have to think and what we have to do and what we have to say and it's comply or die. March to the beat of their drummer or get canceled. Bow in compliance or prepare for violence. Meet their ideological demands or plan on more threats to your way of life. Social pressure leading to silence and suppression. Sound familiar? And where do you think this text goes next? You got it. Acts 4, they heard that, and they when they heard it, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Yeah. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Yeah. And after they had a prayer meeting, which seems like that's gone the way of the dinosaur. We got to pray. Thank you so much for coming in early tonight and praying over all of these seats. Like somebody believes that God is needed in this place, that his spirit has to stir, that the seat that you're in has been prayed over and not with pixie dust and not with superstition, none of that stuff. We believe that prayer works that prayer changes things, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. And so they prayed. And the verse goes on and says, after they prayed, some things only happen after you pray. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Some of you here are just like, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of shy, and I'm just always struggled with just saying what I think. I'm I'm so insecure, and I want you to know you better start praying. Counselors can't do this for you. Self-help books can't do this for you. Motivational speakers can't do this for you. The Holy Spirit can make you bold. They didn't pray, I love this, for the threats to stop. That's what I see American church doing. I just wanna go back to the good old days, founded on the forefather, blah, 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 blah. They weren't praying for everything to go back or for this to happen or for less of this, they said, consider the threats. And if they keep coming, that's fine, God, you need to fill us with empowerment and boldness. I'm not waiting for the madness to stop. I'm not waiting for the discomfort to stop. I'm not waiting for the persecution to stop. I want you to enable me to move with boldness. That's a different kind of prayer. And in the church in Americana, we pray for comfort to be restored. And God's like, I may not restore comfort. You might have to live with threat, but I'll give you boldness to meet the threat. And after they prayed, it says, the place where they're meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just Peter and John now, and spoke the word of God boldly. I'd say it this way. The bold church of the beginning was Bible-based, miracle-expectant, Christ-centered, prayer-dependent, and spirit-filled. I'm going to say it again. The bold church of our beginning, from whence we come, was Bible-based, miracle-expectant, Christ-centered, prayer-dependent, and spirit-filled. In relation to church, instead of prayer these days, there can tend to be pride. People become central production, keep people entertained, programs, keep people organized, projects, keep people busy. All of those things save pride can be very, very awesome. But we need more prayer. In relation to church, instead of things being shaken up, there can tend to be control. We don't allow the spontaneous or the surprising. Composure. We need to keep up appearances on the outside. Calm. We don't trust anything that gets messy or mysterious. Or worse yet, corporate. We function as an organization instead of a living organism. And we need God to wake us up and shake us up and break us and make us into the image of Christ. I mean, wouldn't that be the greatest prayer? Wake us, shake us, break us, and then make us like you, God. That's a prayer meeting right there. That's a good prayer meeting. Well, in relation to the church, instead of being filled with the Spirit, it can be sermon-filled, preaching addiction, singing-filled, singing addiction, serving-filled, ministry addiction, study-filled, Bible addiction. All those things are great. But what are the good of all those things without the presence of God's Spirit empowering those things? It's like having the most awesome car in the world, and you don't have an engine. It'll move. You just got to get on the bumper and have your whole family do it and push it down the road. But once you get the engine, you're like, now I know what this car is supposed to do. This thing's ballsy. Wow. This can go from zero to 60 in like 2.5, three seconds. I love that. The horsepower is always the spirit. Always the spirit. And sermons, when they're spirit-filled, are different. Singing is different. Serving, study, it's all needing the spirit to fill it in order for it to fulfill its ultimate powerful purpose. And in relation to the church, instead of boldness, there appears to be insecurity. I'm paralyzed with toxic self-doubt. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I should say anything. I mean, this is part of what gaslighting does. If you look at gaslighting as a definition, it makes you doubt your background, doubt your memories, doubt your beliefs in everything. It makes you feel insane. And God's like, we need boldness to say, you're not gonna mess around with that. There's inadequacy. I don't feel equipped or empowered to act or be... There's indifference, I'm caught in a state of double-mindedness. You know, what does it really matter, fills the church. And then inclusivity, I tolerate anything in order not to offend anyone. We need boldness again. Well, what happened after the place where their meeting was shaken? They were all filled with boldness. And now it was getting out of hand because it wasn't just Peter and John. All the people were at that prayer meeting and were filled with spirit. And God was speaking boldness through them in their city. And so they, in chapter five, verse 18, they arrested the apostles again and put them in public jail. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Kind of cool. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I just want to stop there. Because I think a lot of people actually stop at getting saved and never share. And the point of you experiencing new life is for you to share that new life with the people around you. And, and that takes boldness. I mean, I'll, I'm out there and I'm a pastor. and I love God's word. And this is my calling. This is my occupation. And there are sometimes I'm swallowing hard and I'm feeling the butterflies and I'm feeling like I want to just kind of go to the bathroom because I need to urinate. I feel it with the rest of you when I get scared. I want to broach this conversation with a faith conversation. And, and it isn't about preaching at people. It's just saying, here's what Christ did for me. Here's how he transformed my old life into the new life. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was like this, but now I'm not anymore. Or I am sometimes, but I have his forgiveness and I can lean into his grace. Do you want that? Do you ever share your faith? This is the question. We are not going to have a church that explodes with boldness that causes the world to wake up to the fire that started over here. If we're not sharing our faith, do you share your faith? Do you tell anyone about Jesus? Are you ashamed of Jesus and your faith in public? Are you demonstrative? Do you invite anyone to church, any of the above? Are you stepping out on a limb and allowing God to fill you to do what you know you can't do without him? That's living by faith. Philemon 1.6, I was talking to Allie about this last week as she was talking about sharing her faith with her friends. She's like, I don't know what it is. When I share my faith with my friends, it makes Jesus like seem more real to me. And I'm like, you know why? Because it's in the Bible. And it's in a weird book called Philemon, but Philemon 1.6 says this, always be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of all the things that you have in Christ. That's a big deal to me, that you will only have a partial understanding of what you have in Christ if you're not active in sharing your faith. You're like, why do they look like they're like on fire? It looks like on an eight-cylinder engine, all eight cylinders are working, and me, it's partial. I'm puttering down the road. Why are they feeling so much more powerful? They're active in sharing their faith, and a full understanding of what you have in Christ comes when you share it. Does that make sense? It's a promise. And just the more negative side is Jesus someday, he says this in Luke 9, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the son of man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. Whoa. Whoa. If that doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies, it's like, oh, I guess I can't just kind of bite my tongue down here and just can't wait to get to heaven, but I'm not sharing anything because I don't want to rock the boat. He's like, if you're ashamed of me down there, I'll be ashamed of you up here. And Jesus said it. I'm just the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. Jesus said some things that weren't real popular. Just in case you think Jesus was like the friendliest, nicest guy in the world that didn't offend anyone. Again, he got nailed to like a cruel cross of torture because he said stuff like this. God, help us to share you boldly with people. Acts 5, 27 to 29, it goes on, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. These are the big cheeses. These are the big dogs, man. To be questioned by the high priest, that's the guy that goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. Okay, this, this is like they finally made it to the Supreme Court, Okay. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. It wasn't like, oh, uh... (laughs) Oh, I didn't mean to do that. We've been trying to, you know, lay low and uh, we're certainly not wanting to make you feel guilty. I mean, nobody wants to make anyone feel ashamed or guilty. No, he's like, good. I think you might be smelling what I'm stepping in finally. And we're gonna obey God and not human beings. That's why Jerusalem and that's how Lowell will get filled with the teaching of Christ. So You can choose to be a people pleaser Or a God pleaser And I think we're called to love God For sure But I think we're, we're called to please God And love people And when we get those reversed And we're called to like love God and please people It gets all jacked up You can either please people Or be bold And if you're like I want to make bold moves But I also want to please people You can't do both at the same time Peer pressure people-pleasing. These things are rampant right now. And it's not just teenagers struggling with it, just in case you're teens, you're like, oh, peer pressure's so hard. Adults are so in peer pressure right now. The social pressure is immense. It's how the powerful pull levers to manipulate the massed, masses into adherence and obedience. And it's actually no different than a legalistic church, the one I grew up in using guilt, shame, and condemnation to get behavioral modification. I think one of the lowest moments of the lockdown, if I just could share honestly with you, was back in November of last year into December and there was a spike and we knew we had to do something in the church. And it was interesting because I felt like the Sanhedrin came together with the Roman officials and started to apply pressure to all the pastors by calling pastors to come in and sign a document in the Grand Rapids area that went out to all churches to make all the pastors that did not comply or see things the same to feel like pressure to do it themselves. And when I saw a lot of my friends and the big dogs and everybody signed onto the list and I'm like, yeah, but I believe some of you need to close and some need to open under these conditions. You're not allowing for people to follow God's spirit. Society is now hijacking the church to come and write your name here. And if your name's not on this, you're blackballed. And I felt so hurt by pastors doing that to other pastors and getting in bed with the government and the people and not allowing God's spirit to let us flow. Because mass manipulation and that conditioning, man, once that starts to happen, we start doing what the Sanhedrin did with the Roman officials and we conspire and God's spirit evaporates. Sounds almost identical to the verse we looked at. Before, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to Him? It goes on, Acts 5:33 to 35. When they heard this, they were furious. We don't want to make anyone mad at us, we don't want to trigger anyone. They were triggered and wanted to put them to death. Not just prison anymore, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, love this guy, teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Let's just give him a time out, right? (laughs) Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. And then he took them back to history. Some time ago, Thutius appeared claiming to be someone, which those are great leaders, and about 400 men rallied to him. And he was killed and all his followers dispersed and it all came to nothing. And after him, remember Judas the Galilean, he appeared in the days of the census and he led a band of people in revolt and he too was killed and all his followers scattered. You know what he's saying? Jesus was just killed and it won't be long before his followers scatter. So just let this thing play out. I was looking at these two men and these two movements And I thought of what I'm gonna call the quasi-bold church that comes to nothing. And we're watching it happen all the time. In America right now, you cannot believe after this year how many churches are closing. Barna just came out with it and it's staggering. I wanna say it's 35% of churches are closing. Quasi-bold church that comes to nothing, the leader is trying to be somebody. That's what you look for. This is what happened. The leader was trying to be somebody instead of just being himself. The people rallied to them, not the mission. And when the leader is gone, the church is done. They disperse and they scatter. It's called the flash and fade church. It starts real strong and then it fades away because it's not built on the mission. Things are about appearance, not substance. And then fifth, the key motive is revolt instead of Redemption. I think there's a a way the church takes a stand. And I think Peter even said this, which is good that Peter said this because he's probably the most obnoxious of all the disciples. But he said, set apart Christ as Lord. I think it's in chapter 3, 15 and 16. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks of you of the faith that's in you, but do so with gentleness and respect. I love that. No church should gather to be a revolt church. I see these online all the time. And you see in their headlines, you know, last days, turn or burn, it's the end, breaking news, bombshell this, bombshell that. And it's all revolt against the world. Forgetting John three sixteen, is God so loved the world. That's why he came. Our church will so love the world. We are not against the world but what we're not going to do is turn against God for the sake of the world. So we're not here to revolt against society or culture. We're here to stand as a light in the darkness and to illuminate for him. It goes on, Acts 5, 38 and 39, Gamaliel said, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. We've seen that before. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's some sage wisdom right there. Like if they're just doing this and it's all driven by human ego and the purposes that come from human origin, don't worry, Judas came, you know, Thudius came. Those things just fall apart. It's all centered around a personality and big flash and marketing and promotion. And it's just sexy church oriented. It's just, it's flashes and fades. But if this is from God, you ain't gonna stop it. You'll just be fighting against God. That's why we stay close to God, not people. Like you don't follow a person, you're following a person who's following Christ. Yeah, and man, it fades away. The word that came to my mind is Ichabod in the Old Testament, the glory hath departed. And the glory will depart from a church when they do things and their activities and purposes are of human origin. We want to grow this church. We want to be cool. We want to be known. We want to like have this sex appeal and this attraction to the world for the wrong reason. It will fail every time. That's right. And God won't even have to make it fail. It just doesn't have power. It's a culture of pressure, not power. I want to be more like a Gamaliel church, a person standing in the gap, running interference, the one trying to be a peacemaker instead of a rabble rouser, a de-escalator instead of an instigator. Man, does our world need sage wisdom in the midst of the insanity spewing from both sides of almost every issue. Lord, make us a Gamaliel church. I'll end with this. His speech persuaded them. That's, that's what, the kind of person you wanna be is persuasive. The kind of leader you wanna be is persuasive. Not do this or suffer these consequences, but persuade people. And In order to persuade people, you actually have to be wise. Not just like energetic. I think Paul called it enthusiasm not based on knowledge, right? And I persuade them, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. That means beaten. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. That was the third time they did that. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. How far away are we from that church? Can you imagine just going out here, having a bunch of our leaders get just beat up, and afterward, they come back in full of joy, rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name of Jesus. And I said day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Never stopped because they were unstoppable. You can't stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. There are some characteristics of an unstoppably bold church that jump out of this text at me and we'll end here. The unstoppably bold church, their purpose and activity unabashedly originates in God's power. Second, they rejoice to be counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Christ. You will feel like you are suffering disgrace in this world increasingly in the days ahead are you going to be able to take joy in that and count it as an honor to suffer disgrace? If you're suffering disgrace for being a jerk, you should feel ashamed of yourself. But if you're suffering disgrace because you believe in Jesus and, and you're following him, count yourself worthy of suffering disgrace, for Him. They believe in the power of gathering at a place of worship. They gathered every day in the temple courts. They believed in the we, not just the me. And in a church now where you can get online, you don't have to get to a community. They always wanted to get to the place of worship to be with God's people. They are a day after day church, not just a weekend service that cannot be missed. It was day after day. And not only was it day after day, they were a house to house church, not just a church building. Wasn't like, that's where we talk about God, think about God, listen to worship music and do God things. And now we're home and we'll go back to church next week. This was day after day and house to house where the movement of God kept going. And then they never stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus as the savior of the world. Make us a bold church, God. I remember back in the late 90s, there was a band that came out, the OC Supertones. Anybody remember Ska? Where you kind of dance like this. There's this one song they had, and I'm going to just end with this sort of rap, if you you allow me to do that one more time. It's been a long time. And there's some new people here, and they don't know that I like rap. But... um, OC Supertones were a mix of rap and about everything else. It was kind of like my son that goes to the restaurant and wants swamp water, um, which is all the sodas together into this conglomeration of just cough syrup. And so, but that's what Sky was. And I remember this one song and it was, Unite, ignite, and spark a light so bright the sight will blind the minds of this are modern times. I said, unite, ignite, and spark a light that burns so bright the sight will blind the minds of this are modern times. You know, that was the song. And that's what, that's what I see. That's what I see in this passage. So God ignite, help us to unite and spark a light that burns so bright the sight will blind the minds of this our modern times. Help us to look at the book of Acts and be like, man, so it wasn't so easy for them to be bold. And so maybe we're not so different from them. And I pray that you will make us a church that isn't cocky, arrogant, bold, but is assured, is anchored and is filled with peace in our knowledge of you so much so that even when we suffer disgrace, we count ourselves worthy to be yoked to your reputation. You died for us, God. Help us to die to ourselves and come alive to you this week so that we can make some bold moves as a church this year. And we pray this in your son's name.